Om and welcome to this podcast episode recorded uh, from uh, India from my beautiful room as you can see I'm looking out over some of the hills around Rishikesh I'm in uh, Ramjula Rishikesh uh, which is a more quiet area of the town uh, Rishikesh is also known as the capital of yoga here in India so anyways, uh, it's been a while since I uploaded a last podcast. I've been in uh, inner processes, I've been uh, uh, learning, I've been, um, I've decided to let go of too much sharing uh, and to allow more space to go inside and to focus on my own practice and on really being a, a student uh, uh, with a, a beginner's mindset again. You know, the, the, the ego can sometimes think that it has progressed a lot along the path, but this is a kind of complete nonsense. You are always a beginner. Even uh, the, the sage and the master is a uh, beginner. The, the, the idea that you are um, further along your path will move you away from the actual goal of the path. So, anyways, the reason why I want to record this podcast today is because I, I just came back from a, a very beautiful three-day retreat at an ashram here called Ajatananda Ashram, uh, which is um, in the tradition of Advaita, Advaita Vedanta, also known as non-duality. Advaita, Advaita means uh, to and A means uh, not. So it literally means uh, not to in Sanskrit. And um, Advaita or non-duality has quite some popularity uh, in certain circles these days. It's not uh, something that sparks everyone their interest, but it's, it's definitely uh, quite popular with uh, famous teachers like... Uh, uh, Muji, uh, you could say uh, Eckhart Tolle, uh, often also speaks parts of the non-duality teaching, if not completely, and um, other teachers like Rupert Spira. And there's also a whole lot of uh, teachers emerging every day. I sometimes see on, I'm on YouTube and uh, non-duality is a lot in my, in my search. And, um, and I get recommendations of, of new teachers every day. And uh, to be honest, uh, I have put it myself also forward at some stage as um, someone that uh, uh, perhaps could show the truth. And I've been quite uh, humbled uh, in a way this month in Rishikesh. And I've learned a lot more about non-duality that I really didn't know. And that's what I really would like to share in this podcast. Some of the um, fallacies in modern non-duality is what I want to speak about. Uh, in the modern teachings, Neo-Advaita, you could call it, and in the modern teachers. And I would like to speak about the teachings of Ramana Maharshi and perhaps also a little bit of Nisargadatta Maharaj. Um, those two names are two saints, sages that have lived in the past century 
and that have been of a big influence for the modern uh, Advaita scene. But they are quite misunderstood and I feel their teachings are, what is the word? Hmm. Uh, sometimes used in a misleading way. And often the people that share them in a misleading way are not even aware that they are doing so because they have also been taught certain wrong, perhaps it's a strong word, but certain wrong principles. So before we continue, I invite you to join me for a moment of silence because we're going to speak a whole lot in this podcast about non-duality, but the true teaching of non-duality is really, um, it is really about silence. It is not so much about the words. So I invite you to, if you are able to, to close your eyes and to rest it could also be standing it could be sitting um, this 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 short meditation that we will do doesn't really require you to be in any certain posture um, and you can even be doing an activity right now and the first thing i'm going to ask you to do is to just relax some of your thoughts the mind is always speaking and looking forward and backward but let's just without trying to stop let's just relax that for a moment and perhaps bring some awareness to some sounds around you maybe you can feel your body for a moment, a brief scanning, keeping it all kind of effortless. And bring your awareness to the fact that you are aware, that there's an unbroken experiencer at the root of any experience and you are that you are that experiencer that consciousness always including right now so become aware of that sense that you are, the sense that you can feel I am, I exist and I am.
we are <clears throat> we are getting um, more comfortable here with a with a silence that is not really silent in terms of sound. It is a silence that is beyond sound, beyond thought, beyond mind, and it's always here. And I gently invite you to to come back, although you don't really need to come back. You can keep um, in a very effortless way, you can keep this experience of, of being aware in the background. In fact, it is unbroken, but you can, you can keep that one eye inward on that awareness. So now we've set a little bit of tone for uh, the start of this podcast. That's, let's assume that some of you that are listening have no idea what non-duality means or maybe a small idea and non-duality is basically it's a you could say it's a it's a spiritual principle that is non-religious uh it's it's kind of interreligious it is it is actually the one thing that uh, unites religions and people also call it the direct path because it it is kind of a spiritual system without any detours without um, too much philosophy without belief systems it is a direct path that will bring you to a recognition of what you truly are or you could say to consciousness or you could even say to God but that really depends on the definition you give to the word God because this is not a, a God in the in the um, sense of a God in the sky or a, a ruler or a an entity outside of yourself only if the word God actually means consciousness in this context Advaita, non-duality, is, uh, is a, a means to find out that there essentially is no duality. So what does that mean? Well, we, we, we often take ourselves, uh, we, we take ourselves to be a human, a person, and to be this body and the mind. And we, we never really question what that means. Uh, we never really question what we are and where we are and what we are really. So uh, if we ask each other, who are you? We are uh, conditioned to, to, to say uh, perhaps our name or to, uh, to tell what we do for a living, where we are from. And um, if someone point if you are together standing with someone on the street and someone points to you from the other side of the street hey you but you cannot really see if this person is pointing to you or your friend that is standing next to you and so you want to be 
you want to be sure if it's you or your friend. So you ask like me and you point your finger towards your chest, towards your heart usually. So we kind of like point me is here in my heart. Or it can also, we can also kind of have this feeling that we are being located inside our head. So I am in my head. It's also a saying that we can be stuck in our head or that we are up in our head all the time. But is that really so? Are we, are we that body and mind? And are we located in our chest? Or are we perhaps the... Are we perhaps not located, but are you perhaps the entire body? But then the interesting question arises, and I don't want to make this a too dark podcast, but like you can chop off your limbs and you still are. So your limbs are not really what you are. You could, perhaps there's technology that would be so clever that you could actually complete the chop of the entire body and keep pumping oxygen to the brain so you would still be able to think like that so maybe you're not the entire body you know but non-duality goes even a little bit deeper it kind of states that you cannot be what you perceive if you are the I and if you are able to perceive things as the central I so we are looking for the question who are you at the deepest level who are you I so who or what is I I is the primary thing that perceives and I can perceive a whole lot of things actually everything that we experience is a perception there is only experience there is only perception without perception or without experience we don't know that we are and in non-duality it stated that what you can perceive that you are not it's even a, a certain technique to come to this recognition of what you really are because that is what non-duality is about to find out what you really are and to be what you really are so this technique is called neti neti not this not that and you kind of go through this elimination process to constantly question, am I this or am I that? So a thought appears in the mind. Am I this thought? No, I am not this thought. I can perceive my fingers. Am I my fingers? No, I'm not my fingers. Can I uh, perceive the trees in front of me? I can perceive them. So I am not the trees in front of me. So basically, it would be endless. Everything that you could name is not what you are. So what is left if everything you... You, your name is not what you are. What is left is nothing, nothing. But if this is understood with the mind, the mind will make, uh, will make nothing, truly nothing. But nothing is not nothing. Nothing is also everything. Everything is made out of that nothing. Everything you perceive, you could say, is the inside of your own mind. 
is the everything you perceive is your own consciousness. You are conscious of it, so it's 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 it's, it's it's you're not really seeing the tree, you're seeing a projection in your mind of the tree. You're not really hearing the sound, you are hearing the way your 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 mind perceives the sound. So this is what non-duality is based upon. And uh, it's the science of self-realization or God uh, realization. And um, as a, it actually exists also as a school, although you, you essentially don't need a school for this because it's already what you are, but there's a whole school and system around it. And it was first emerged in, I believe in the 1400s, um, the school of Advaita Vedanta, the actual school about it, was founded by a young man called Adi Shankara. And it was a young man with a very young age, already studied all the scriptures, and uh, um, he, he debated many other uh, sects and religions during his time, the, the Jains, the Buddhists, uh, to speak about the metaphysics of reality. To, and he stated that nothing exists outside of consciousness. So everything is the dream of consciousness. There is no independent world outside of consciousness. So we believe because this world we live in is quite stable. We can leave our home in the morning and come back in the evening to it. And it will be still there with the couch at the same place. Um, and um, our fridge at the same place. So then we assume that there is a independent world existing, opposed to the dream state at night, which is very unstable. And when we wake up from the dream in the morning, we it was so unstable and we remember again that, ah, oh, that was a dream. It seemed so real when I was in it, but now I'm awake and I can see it was a dream. Now it is stated that this is the same way for the reality you are experiencing right now. It's not just stated, it's actually made in such a way that you can find this out for yourself to really start questioning reality yourself through direct knowledge, not a knowledge of the mind. So it's not an intellectual understanding. It is the intellect at first that will bring you there. So it is, it is to hear words like these I'm speaking now it is through reading texts about it that you can come to the direct knowledge, but the direct knowledge will be without words. It will be a direct experience that will probably happen in a moment of silence and meditation. So what is important to know is that uh, a man like Adi Shankara, for example, he, he, he had a, um, uh, uh, a full teaching about it and he also he himself he uh, he took sannyasin during his life which means he um, he renounced a lot of the worldly things to go very very deep into spiritual practice so these were all um, uh, the, 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 the realized people that we learn from they have been people that have been in deep practice themselves before they came to the full recognition and also the abidance And these days it's again made quite popular. The last uh, century, around the 1900s, 
uh, to the 19th to 1950, I believe, uh, a man lived named Ramana Maharshi. And it was a, a young man at first uh, who was born in the south of India. And he had a very sudden, unexpected awakening. It wasn't induced by too much spiritual practice. Um, which is said to be because of previous practice in earlier lifetimes. So he was very ready when he came into this life, into this incarnation. But so he had this sudden awakening, this sudden deep realization of the self, of consciousness. And it was also immediately uh, a very uh, much an abiding one. So it wasn't like a glimpse and he got back to form. It was uh, a glimpse that, that stayed pretty much immediately. Uh, as is spoken in the stories and when that happened he left everything behind he he left his home his parents his possessions he dropped even i think his wallet at some point and he started wearing just a cloth and he had this deep intuition that he wanted to be at a mountain called mount arunachala which is a holy mountain in india and for the rest of his life he stayed there and he was just abiding in this transcendent state in, in in reality you could also say in the true reality the true knowledge not the not the the, the, the egoic knowledge but uh, knowledge of mind but the true knowledge and without ever looking for devotees or students people started to gather around him because there was just a a a palpable silence around this man this man was clearly in a very special transcendent state completely beyond suffering not needing anything from the world and slowly his teaching started to emerge through question and answer um, and what was very interesting about this is he um, he, he, so he wasn't really schooled in any lineage. He, he didn't do intense sadhana. But when he started to also understand that his state was special and other than what others were experiencing, uh, he started to look into different old uh, Indian philosophies and spiritual systems. And the one he found... Um, was the most true to his experience was Advaita Vedanta, as taught by Adi Shankara. And books like the Ashtavakra Gita, which is a whole book full of pointers towards this timeless, formless realm. Um, so that's why you could say that Ramana Maharshi was a teacher of Advaita, but he was never schooled, he was not a scholar, he, 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 he first awakened and then recognized his his own uh, experience in this teaching and now the interesting part is that if you actually I was really amazed during this retreat uh, that I went to at Aishatana and the Ashram because we took a really a, a deep dive into his teachings guided by the Swami the head monk of Aishatananda Swami Atmananda Yudasin very very good teacher and when you look at this teaching, it was actually so complete. I, I didn't know that, but throughout the years, throughout all the Q and A's he, he gave, um, 
a very complete teaching has came into existence pretty much it reminded me actually a lot about the story of the buddha because the buddha also had his awakening and and it was mostly orally how he uh, shared his teaching also a lot through questions through people that want to know how do i get into this state that you're in and so ramana had a similar way in it and it's also the teaching of course has many similarities with buddhism all these teachings have a lot of similarities all religions have a lot of similarities um, but so the beautiful thing was to find out that he actually laid out a complete path and uh, here you will see one of the first big um, fallacies of neo-advaita is that uh, a lot of his quotes are taken out of context a lot of his quotes are shared um, by themselves but he never wrote these quotes to be shared by themselves alone there was uh, background to these quotes and not only that he could say very contradictory things to different people because he would intuitively recognize the spiritual stage someone was at and he would give an answer that would be suitable to the spiritual stage of the person that was in front of him so his answers could be at first i paradoxical and Um, his quotes can also often sound very pathless so that there is no path that there is no need for 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 practice because you are you are already what you are basically the teaching says be as you are just be quiet remain silent don't go into the mind and be as you are that's it and actually if you look deeper you cannot not be what you are you cannot not have your experience you cannot stop the stream of experience except for if you would commit suicide but if we put that to the side there's literally no way in which you stop this stream of experience listening to this podcast you cannot say like okay for five seconds i want to be blank there is a constant choiceless stream of awareness but Many Neo-Advaita teachings, modern non-duality teachings, teachers, um, they take these words and they put it like, there's nothing you need to do. You are already it. You will hear some say, call off the search, stop seeking. And um, just be happy pretty much <laughs> and um, if you look at what Ramana thought he actually thought a, a, a framework a, a kind of a stages and practices that one could do quite intensely to to get to an abiding self-recognition so his three stages were um, one to recognize the self so a lot of people have never recognized the self a lot of people have never done any self-inquiry to understand what or who they really are so the world is actually very very lost because people have no idea who they are people are looking for themselves in psychology they hope that if they maybe can get this complete overview of their personal structures that they know who they are but if you look deep there's no one 
to be truly found that is permanent. It's always changing. Your psychology is always changing. Your beliefs can completely change. And, and it's in a completely different realm that you are speaking. So self-recognition is a really important first stage and this is huge because the moment you have your first self-recognition, capital S self-recognition, it will be, it can be quite explosive, very explosive. It can completely turn your world inside out and upside down. And what might sound fluffy at first, you are not the body and the mind like, oh, okay, or that sounds a little bit like people are in denial or something. But if you actually go into an exploration of the self, there's deep recognition waiting for people. And he thought that through the famous question, who am I? This was Ramana Amarshi's famous question. Who am I? Keep asking yourself, who am I? Um, and not like a mantra, not like you said, like, who am I? Who am I? Who am I? Because that's also what you see is that people here practice and they don't, they make kind of make a, like a, almost like a religious practice out of it again. But this was, this practice was really with the intention to be, have a genuine interest to find out who am I? Who and what am I? Am I this? No. Am I that? No. Am I this body? No. I, I, I am not what I perceive. So what am I? What am I? What am I? Go deeper and deeper and deeper until you find, find the source. This was a very important stage in his teaching. And another very important stage in his teaching was if you know the source, if you have that first glimpse, which will most likely be very blissful, you want to stay there. Because the mind is full of uh, um, mental imprints, which are also called the vasanas in the tradition of Advaita Vedanta. Or in Buddhism, they are known as samskara. So there are mental imprints, which... A mental imprint is basically, you could say, a strong identification with a thought form. So, the strong belief in certain thought forms that we have adopted, accumulated throughout our experience in our life. So, this can be thoughts about things that we make that we think that are going to make us uh, happy, or this can be. Um, compulsive thoughts to 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 grab a coca-cola or a cigarette or or things that are very hard to to let go of so even if you've had the deep spiritual realization spiritual awakening you can still have these vasanas that are going to pull you out of that awakening and i heard a funny quote during the retreat to entertain one thought can keep you uh again in bondage and away from liberation for another 20 years because one thought leads to another thought and to another thought and before you know it you forgot about meditating and before you know it you you've done many many things out of this first stream this the the, the, the story was actually where this quote came from is is a sadhu uh, in india here you have uh, uh, many uh, men and women spiritual practitioners that abandon uh, uh, their possessions and live a life uh, um, in, in, in practice and devotion and, and uh, so without possessions there was, there was this one sadhu and he only owned one cloth that he was wearing no money no food nothing he only owned one cloth he was living on the street and one day 
a rat started uh, nibbling on his clothes. So his clothes slowly started to get destroyed. His only piece of clothing that he was wearing. And uh, another sadhu saw what was happening and he advised the sadhu, oh, your, your clothes are gonna be destroyed soon. You're gonna need a cat to, to keep away that rat. So the sadhu got himself a cat and the rat indeed stayed away, but now he had a cat and now he needed milk. So now he needed milk, the sadhu decided also to get a cow. But all of a sudden uh, the cow uh, got pregnant and got kids. And now all of a sudden he had three cows. And before he knew it, he was running a, a cow farm and he was producing lots of milk for the entire country. And he became a multinational at some stage, providing milk powder to the entire world. And 20 years later, he completely forgot about this initial reason to be there in his clove, which was to realize God, to realize the self, to obtain liberation. So one thought entertained can lead to a whole lot. So there's a deep need in this science of self-realization to stay abiding as the self, to realize what you are and to not let thoughts affect you. So it's not necessary, not necessary to stop thoughts, but it's to destroy all identification with thought. So any thought that enters your mind, you know, it is not what I am. It is not the truth. And here's the problem with many modern non-duality. They will teach you the spiritual awakening part and they will make you believe that that is enlightenment. So they will awaken you, they will make you realize the self. You will have your first moment of bliss and expansion and of really feeling and realizing deeply, I am not my thoughts, I am not my body. And this is so beautiful when you experience this for the first time, but it is not enlightenment because there will be vasanas coming back at a later stage that pull you out of it. And until the day that you've destroyed this identification in the form of vasanas, you, you have effort to do, you have spiritual practice to do. You have to stay alert with yourself in order to not allow these thoughts, these vasanas to hijack you. And Ramana taught this, he taught people to oppose to modern, many modern non-duality, he taught people to create a kind of one-pointedness in the mind a one-point concentration, so the mind has less grip, the mind is less flighty and jumpy and, and more sattvic, as they call it here, more calm and, and less anxious. And, um, and to, he also taught you to, for example, to spend your time in with devotional practices, like, for example, to be of service so that your service, your selfless service, consumes so much of your attention span that you have in 24 hours of a day, that there's literally no room for, um, for these impure samskaras to play out. Because if we don't have anything special to do, uh, or if we are busy with things that are maybe harmful, these vasanas will be reinforced and will be strengthened. So it is also very, very important that we don't do things that create new vasanas, new imprints, because it's only going to postpone the actual liberation and it's only going to give us more work, more practice to go through. And what he thought and why it is so direct 
where opposed to other paths, they teach you that you first need to clean the body from the inside out, that you need to strengthen and stretch so you can sit in a perfect meditation seat, that you do need to do certain pranayamas, that you uh, basically need to do a whole bunch of things before you can get there, before you can attain liberation. And he thought it more directly, he said, understand the self because you are already self, the self is always there and abide as the self. So do your best to stay there with your effort. And this abidance in the self, it is like a fire that catches on to a dry forest. Because the dry forest is the forest of vasanas, because your vasanas will come up during your self-abidance. So these thoughts will appear while you are having your attention on that place inward, on the truth. and when you are there these imprints will kind of be destroyed as soon as they touch you in that space they will have nothing to hold on to they will be seen fully for what they are and they will be vanishing 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 this can take a process of a few years for some for some a lot longer but it can happen in a few years time until all the vasanas have cessated and that's the full liberation and when that happens the true practice becomes effortless so don't believe anyone that tells you that you don't need to make effort because until you, you've reached that state in which vasanas don't have hold of you, so not when they don't appear anymore in the mind as a thought form, but when they don't have hold of you anymore, only from that moment onwards it will be effortless or at least it will require very little effort. So this is very important to understand and it's actually also very um, motivating, I would say. It's very clear, this path. It's very clear. Uh, it's, it's, it, 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 it really makes sense also to the intellect if you, if you look into it at what this path is. And there are many stories and examples of people that use this teaching and awakened within a few years' time. Like, for example, Nisargadatta Maharaj, he was not a disciple of Ramana Maharshi, but it was a very similar process. He, Nisargadatta Maharaj was another man from Mumbai who got instructed by his guru to dwell in the sense I am. So this is the same as the self-abidance of Ramana. Ramana called it the I thought from Nisargadatta's language. It was dwell in the sense I am. It's the same thing. And there was so much trust from Nisargadatta in his own guru. Like he, he, he did everything his guru said because he fully trusted this man. It took him about four years until he was completely liberated and the self is completely realized. Um, so there is kind of a need for relentlessness in this path. There's no laziness in this path. There's no lazy path that will bring you to enlightenment, except for if you are very lucky and you've maybe done work in previous lifetimes. <clears throat> I don't think I have so much more to share about this. Maybe except for one thing is that, you know, it can be very entertaining and very important also to listen to Advaita teachings, to listen to the words, to read the books, 
it's very important that we get a good understanding that we actually understand the path that we don't just take the first quote and believe that that's the truth no that we actually do understand it also intellectually and know what we follow that we know why we practice but it can also be at some point a form of entertainment and escapism and a form of laziness that we hope if i listen to another time to to the teacher or to the book maybe then i will get it but if you if you have already in this intuitive pull towards uh, if you already have this intuitive feeling of what i am means if you've already can have a quite palpable experience of of what awareness is if you have a connection to 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 consciousness to shiva whatever you want to call it then then from there on it's truly about staying there being silent listen to the teacher for inspiration so you come back to it take like your booster um, but the true practice is silence and this is also what ramana taught to to keep quiet just keep quiet remain as the eye remain as this pure eye thought and don't go into the mind so i invite you to take a last little moment of silence with me together before ending this podcast to sit with that pure eye thought and to recognize ourselves as the primary one out of which experience emerges out of which thought emerges sound sight Thank you so much for listening. Um, good luck with the practice if it caught you. I hope so. We need more people to practice this. I believe it's great for the world if we free ourselves from egoic identification and peace. <laughs>